Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Entrepreneurship is often lauded with stories of skyrocketing success, which inspire us to think about our own careers and business experiences. This success and public profile sometimes come after one or two big setbacks, maybe, for example, in the wake of business lessons learned the hard way or even a bankruptcy. My guest today is both an entrepreneur and someone who leads scores of budding entrepreneurs. Jack DeLosa has personally trained, mentored and presented live to over 245,000 entrepreneurs and companies, including ASX 200 companies, small to medium-sized enterprises, federal and state governments, athletes, NRL and AFL clubs, celebrities and some of the world's leading entrepreneurs. Jack has a string of accolades like being a five times AFR young rich lister, two times bestselling author and the founder of Australia's largest business coaching and training provider for entrepreneurs, The Entourage, which has a community of 650,000 members. Since 2010, The Entourage has helped their members add over $2 billion in value to their businesses. And under his leadership, The Entourage has been awarded the fourth best place to work in Australia and the top 50 in Australasia by best places to work. He's also a high-profile investor, having invested in companies spanning biotechnology, luxury real estate, finance, e-commerce, food retail, recruitment, and even aviation, including one company that became what's known in Silicon Valley as a unicorn, and that's defined as a business that goes from zero to $1 billion within 10 years. And so the perfect person to have on the politics of everything to chat about entrepreneurship. Welcome, Jack. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. I appreciate uh, you having me on and really excited to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Zed. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. Well, I would love to find out what did you want to be when you were a kid? I'm often curious about what people think. Were they going to be an astronaut or did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Is there a way you can sort of cast your mind back and perhaps remember those early inklings that might have a sign of where you've ended up today? Funnily enough, and anyone that knows me might be surprised by this answer, but when I was a kid in my misguided naivety, I actually wanted to be a politician. And the reason for that was my parents ran a not-for-profit organization called Breaking the Cycle. And they would take long-term unemployed youth at risk off the street, out of jails, 
out of abusive homes. They'd put them through a three-month training program and they'd facilitate them into employment. And they were the best at what they did in Australia, even though they would choose those from the most challenging of backgrounds. Now, government, uh, sorry, Breaking the Cycle were a not-for-profit organisation, meaning they were reliant on government funding, essentially. And so that's the environment I grew up in. Mum was the head trainer. Dad was the managing director. I would wag primary school to sit in mum's classroom as she'd teach life skills and employability skills and personal development and psychology and mindset and all of these things. So that's the environment I grew up in. The government restructured the way they issued capital out to not-for-profits. Breaking the Cycle were unsuccessful in raising capital under the new regime and as such the organization collapsed and so i remember feeling a huge sense of injustice a huge sense of frustration and i just didn't understand what was more important than enabling young adults to become more of themselves and and, and live meaningful lives particularly those coming from challenging background and so when i say i wanted to be a politician it's because i thought the politicians were the people that influenced things and I now have a different view that I developed throughout my teenage years, which is it's entrepreneurs and innovators that bring new things to the world. It's entrepreneurs and innovators that push the world forward. Government don't innovate, they regulate innovation. Often they squash innovation, often they inhibit innovation. And so when I became a little bit more attuned to how things actually develop and how things actually progress, that's when I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So do you think entrepreneurs are born or made or is that a too simplistic binary view of of what an entrepreneur can can be? I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking a lot of people I know, they might be small business owners, but they're not entrepreneurs or they might be, you know, great in corporate, but then they step away from that and they just, it's not their thing. And then they find that out sort of the hard way. Do you have a view on that because of the experience you've had working with so many entrepreneurs over the years? And of course, your own experience. Yeah, so a view that's been really instrumental to how I've approached my life and my businesses and my career is I have a view that everything is a skill, right? And so I believe that even things like emotional intelligence, it's a skill. Being somebody that can develop inspiring visions that inspire you and others, it's a skill. Empathy is a skill. Harvard have been producing research since the 1880s. It's the longest run research piece in known history, proving that happiness is a skill, no different to learning the violin. And so with regards to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, there are absolutely innate characteristics that typical entrepreneurs are born with, such as a high aptitude for risk. Generally speaking, entrepreneurs are quite independent thinkers. Generally speaking, entrepreneurs see things that don't yet exist. These are all relatively innate characteristics. Now, that doesn't mean that they're fixed. I think they can be developed and grown, but there needs to be an element of innateness there about them. And if we talk about marketing in 2022, it's a skill. If we talk about sales, it's a skill. If we talk about how to develop meaningful products and deliver meaningful products to your customers, it's a skill. If we talk about how to be an effective CEO, it's a skill. How to be a great entrepreneur, it's a skill. And so I think it's both. I think you want to be someone that has the innate characteristics, even if they're still just seeds, right? Somebody that has an urge to be uh, fiercely independent, somebody that does have a relatively high tolerance for risk, somebody that does see things that don't yet exist. And then you need to realize that operationalizing that in any venture, any business is just a skill set that needs to be developed. Right. So that sounds like most people potentially could 
could be entrepreneurs, technically speaking, if they've got some of those elements or all of those elements. Well, yes, and to an increasing degree these days, right, because the, the definition of entrepreneur has changed. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you think of an entrepreneur, you think of somebody that's employing thousands of people, maybe has, you know, several factories or whatever it might be, has taken on considerable risk and bank loans and equity investors and all these kinds of things. Today, we use the term entrepreneur far more inclusively than that. And today, the barriers to entering into a business are far lower than that. And so, you know, if somebody's in their corporate position, and is thinking about it, exiting that and, and becoming a consultant and building a team of consultants, they can do so with almost zero barriers to entry, completely leveraging off their experience. Sure, taking a greater risk than perhaps being in a PAYG employment arrangement, but it, 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 it's far more accessible and far more inclusive. So I think when you start to talk about entrepreneurship in the modern day context, I think just about anybody can do that. So what made you start the Entourage? And I guess, how's that program changed and kept pace with what entrepreneurs need and want over the past decade or so? Because I imagine, you know, where you started and where you are now is, is very different, not just in terms of the numbers of people going through the program, but what people require to be skillful. Yeah, absolutely. So I started the Entourage because I had been running companies for many years at that point, And I had determined that there was just nowhere to go for small to medium-sized business owners to connect with people who've been there, done that experience, who could help them in a practical sense to scale their business. And so because I had done that successfully and because I had also, through a previous company of mine called MBE Group, we had helped a bunch of other you know, small to medium-sized companies raise money from investors and build their companies and exit and things like that. I knew I, I knew I could do it. I knew I could do it well, and I knew there was a need for it because I developed a huge network of entrepreneurs. We all said the same thing, which was there was really nowhere to go, university and TAFE especially, to help, you, help oneself develop as an entrepreneur that can scale companies effectively. And so that's why we started it. That's why I started it. It was out of inspiration and desperation. Inspiration thinking that I could make a difference. <laughs> desperation knowing that we just don't do enough as a culture and as a society to genuinely enable people to build successful companies. And so that's why I started it. And today we specialize in working with small to medium-sized companies, the only one doing from anywhere from half a million dollars to you know, generally kind of three and a half to five million is where they generally start with us. And we help them go from, you know, many of them doing a million dollars a year, we help them go to doing a million dollars a month. And so it's all about how do you go from startup to scale up? How do you go from technician being the person doing everything to entrepreneur being the person guiding, architecting and shaping everything? How do you go from business operator you know, buried in the trenches of your business to business owner where you're building an asset that can operate without you. And so, you know, our audience has matured as we have and and and, and that's kind of the, the sweet spot of companies that we work with today. Excellent. So how do you keep in touch with your alumni and ensure that I guess what you're doing is sort of fit for purpose and true to the goal to shape and support the entrepreneurs? You've got a huge alumni there. Is there a way in which you keep engaging with that? Because I imagine that network is incredibly powerful, particularly as they become successful in their own right. Yeah. Well, you know, at, at the entourage, we don't view what we do as delivering coaching or building programs. Our whole, everything we do here centers around building success stories, 
right? And so our existing members and clients and, and, and our graduate members and clients are those living, breathing, walking success stories. And so maintaining that community, maintaining that line of communication, maintaining that connection where there's an environment where they feel comfortable to come and ask questions, to come and uh, re-engage with us if they want. You know, our programs are 12-month programs. However, generally people stay with us for three, four, five, six years. We've got a couple of people that have been in our programs for literally nine years. We've also got some people that have been in for a few years, paused for a couple of years because they wanted to go through a period of consolidation or some life events arose, and then they re-engage later. And the reason they do that is when you have a entrepreneur that's really good at what they do and you surround them in an environment with mentors and advisors that can guide them from a place of being there, done that experience, and you surround them with a tribe of like-minded and like-hearted people, they grow faster. Their business grows faster. And so that kind of ongoing relationship with our existing members and our graduate members is really at the heart and, you know, is fundamentally what we're about. Absolutely. And that makes sense. So what are the qualities that, that an entrepreneur has? And I know you've touched on a few of the skills, I guess, that you need and those ideas around how you build that through your program. Second part to this question is, who is your favourite entrepreneur and why? And it's probably like trying to choose favourite children or something or favourite pets. It's probably nearly impossible, but I'm sure, I'm sure you've got one or two that you maybe can um, highlight for us that maybe embody some of those qualities which, um, you know, make you a great entrepreneur. Totally. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think what fundamentally makes a great entrepreneur is somebody who carries a vision for how things should be and carries the emotional fortitude and the ability to make them how they see them, right? Yeah. And so great businesses start because someone wants to change something about the world and great businesses succeed because that person cares so passionately about what they're doing that they're able to drive that through to tangible and measurable outcome. My favorite entrepreneurs, I mean, there's a few of them, right? I, I think that, you know, I, I have to say Sir Richard Branson, who I've just been fortunate enough to spend a week with on Necker Island. You know, I was on Necker in 2014. I did some work with Richard in 2010, developing the curriculum for his Branson Center of Entrepreneurship in Johannesburg. And so, you know, spending time with Richard over the last kind of 12 years, each time is eye-opening and paradigm-shifting in terms of what he supports me with and communicates to me and teaches me and guides me with. You know, Richard is a, a, an entrepreneur's entrepreneur in that he his, his method of entrepreneurship is build great teams, ensure that they're well-resourced and get out of their way. And so I think there's a lot that every entrepreneur, you know, when I talk about building a business that can work without you, Branson's one of the kind of poster childs for that style of entrepreneur. Which must be very hard for some people. You know, they talk about founder syndrome and people have that, right, where they just, their baby, they they know they're not the best person to lead that company or they don't want to, or you know, they've got other things going on, but they just find it hard to let go. And I think I've seen that quite a lot just as a journalist over the past, you know, 20 years, great businesses that just don't let go at the right time and maybe hand those reins over. Exactly. And my view on that is it's because the founder has an intuitive understanding that the business isn't ready for somebody else to run. And what I mean by that is not that, as you say, not that it's not at the right stage, because often, as you say, a founder will sort of stay in that CEO role longer than they need to, but that they haven't yet put in place the structures to enable somebody else to run the business well. 
right? And so what you'll see often at the six or seven year mark is founder brings in, you know, a couple of managers to manage the business, founder leaves the building, performance starts to plateau, founder doesn't mind because they're at the beach for the first time in seven years and they're actually in <laughs> lifestyle. But then the then performance starts to drop and decline. And the founder comes back into the building three months, six months, 12 months later, and they realize that the performance drivers that were once driving the performance of the business have dissipated and dissolved as as they left the building and shortly after because they hadn't structurally ingrained. There wasn't KPIs. There wasn't a vision, mission, and value structurally ingrained in the culture. There wasn't reportability. There wasn't a finger on the pulse in terms of understanding what drives performance and, and, and how to catch it early if it starts to slip. And so it's really important that any founder looking to build a team that can operate without them doesn't do so on love, trust, and pixie dust. You do so by building the necessary structures, building the necessary reporting such that you can keep your finger on the pulse even though you might not necessarily be in the building. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So what role does personal branding play in ensuring an entrepreneur with a great business idea or 10 business ideas like it might be can get become well-known faster? And I imagine that's been part of your own success story. You are a household name for many entrepreneurs and that's been built over time because of your strong personal brand and presence, I guess, across you know lots of media and social media. But is that really important for every entrepreneur to get get across? Some people might have a great idea, but it's not it's not in their wheelhouse. They don't love doing stuff like this, or they're not really comfortable with being the face of, of their company. How important do you think that is in terms of creating a life cycle for, for your business and your brand? Yeah, it's a really good question. Personal brand is not necessarily a must. It can help, it can be an accelerant. But if you've got an entrepreneur that is more introverted and doesn't want to be in front of media and doesn't want to be recording videos or on social media, and you know, I, I've got a lot of really close friends that are seriously successful entrepreneurs that couldn't think of anything worse than posting on Instagram every day. And so <laughs> it's not necessary. I think I, like if we get to the crux of entrepreneurship, the thing is, is there are no rules. And you need the, the the one rule of entrepreneurship is figure out who you are, figure out what your strengths are, figure out what your weaknesses are, figure out how you want to do this. Is this a are you a, are you more of a solo entrepreneur type? Are you more of a build a small team, run a lean company like the consulting company we were talking about before? Are you a purebred risk taking? you know, entrepreneur who wants to build a company to a thousand people and you're going to need to raise capital along the way and, you know, go build a company internationally. It's like, what game are we talking about here? And and the determinant of that is, who are you? What do you want? What what is What does the ideal business look like for you? And then we start building a business in that image because it has to be congruent with who you are at your core. Yeah, absolutely. And that does make sense. So do you think most entrepreneurs have to take big risks and fail fast? And you talked about that risk appetite earlier in our conversation, or is there a slow burn version of an entrepreneur that works well? And I'm thinking of, for example, um, Steve Jobs, who we know his first iPhone took a number of years to kind of be good enough, if you like, for him to want to launch it. I've just been listening to a whole bunch of business podcasts. And one of them was about iPhone versus BlackBerry, if you remember those. And um, I've been so fascinated about that (laughs) mindset about, you know, perfection if you like, to make that that mean something to the world and it still does today. Yeah, I think that an entrepreneur can determine what risk profile they have and therefore build a business that aligns with that. 
I think the Steve Jobs example is a good example of what I was talking about before in terms of everything's a skill. Because, yeah, they obsessed for years over the iPhone and ultimately it became an iconic success on a global scale. You know, they, they categorically changed the category of smartphones. If you go back a little bit further than that, when Jobs was in his late 20s and early 30s, Steve Jobs was terrible at building products that people wanted to buy. You know, they, they released the, I think it was the Macintosh and the Macintosh 2 that were successful. That is what made Apple successful in the early days, gave them lots of reserve capital. The next three or four products that were headed up by Steve almost sunk the company. That's that's why they got rid of him. Yeah, because being fired from his own company, very famous being story. Fired from his own company. He wasn't good at it. And so, like, how do you get good at building game-changing products like that? Do what Steve did and spend your, dedicate your life to building game-changing products. But, you know, we think of Steve as this, like, iconic product creator, and he was. You know, to come back to your question before, Branson's one of my favorite entrepreneurs, as, as is and was Jobs. But, yeah, great example of he sucked in the beginning. <laughs> he became iconic yeah. because of his dedication to it. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think that overnight success thing, which perhaps with, you know, modern versions of entrepreneurship, all that online profiles that you read about people doing so well and winning awards, and it's all great, but sometimes it's smoke and mirrors too. I mean, I've worked, my sweet spot is crisis communications, and I've worked with a lot of companies on a no-names basis who there's not a lot in that balance sheet, you know, despite all this, this view of success. And, you know, that's that's one of the metrics, surely, of a great business is that you can pay your people and you're not going to close the doors tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had a similar experience in that, you know, we, we obviously work with a lot of small to medium-sized companies, but we've also are often engaged by larger organisations, be they universities, governments or corporations, and often when one goes into corporations and you, and you start to get a feel for whether it's culturally, whether it's financially, whether it's operationally, you're often surprised by just how underdeveloped they are relative to people's perception of what should be going on. Absolutely. So changing tack a little bit, who have been your greatest mentors? Uh, are there one or two that have really impacted your career and where you are today? And you're not allowed to mention Richard Branson again. I want to find another one in, in that, in that uh, treasure chest of yours. <laughs> I, think, I think the most impactful mentors for me have been people that I have studied and learned about. So, you know, I've always been a student of history and a student of those that have created larger-than-life legacies and, and spanning different eras different industries, you know, whether it's Michelangelo who was a sculptor turned painter 500 years ago, Michelangelo famously painted the roof of the Sistine Chapel, whether it's Albert Einstein who rewrote physics, you know, a little bit over 100 years ago and kind of changed the way we view the universe, whether it's Oprah Winfrey who's, you know, been disseminating pieces of light into our living rooms for over 35 years now, whether it's, you know, J.K. Rowling who is the author of Harry Potter, and it might be like, well, Jack, you know, from an impact perspective, what has J.K. Rowling done? She's credited for doing more for childhood literacy than any other person or organisation in history. Yes. And so these are the kinds of people that I love to look at and study. And the reason for that is similar to what we were just talking about with jobs. What history tends to do with people that have achieved great things is we put them on a pedestal we assume they were superhuman and we assume that they must have lived on another planet in a faraway galaxy. And what happens when you actually look at their stories is you find something that's fascinating. You find that 
they're riddled with the same insecurities as you and I. You find that their journey wasn't this perfect, you know, great visionary striving towards this perfect outcome. Like their journey was improvised. They were messily and imperfectly making it up as they went along, just like you and I. And so what I love about looking at these types of people is when you put the microscope over the journey, you find their humanity. And you realize, you know, the same as spending a week with Richard Branson on Necker Island a couple of weeks ago, you find out that they're just people like you and I. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I find that incredibly inspiring. Absolutely. So if we chatted again in a year's time, what would be the number one thing you would have changed in your business and why? We currently, the Australian market for us is our, our, our home base and our foundation and, and the most important thing to us. And in addition to that, we're currently exploring the US market because we think we can do some really meaningful stuff over there. And so the number one thing that I would like to accomplish over the next 12 months is to uh, have started to have built in the US uh, a similar ecosystem and a similar impact to, to what we've been able to achieve thus far in Australia. I'll check in and find out if that's happened in a year's time. I'll make a diary <laughs> note. <laughs> As we wrap up our conversation today, what would be your overarching message for anyone embracing the politics of entrepreneurship? My, my advice would be spend time exploring yourself. Spend time identifying what are your personal values, what are you good at, what are your strengths, what do you love doing, what do you not love doing, and whether it's through starting your own business or launching a career or becoming a musician, find a way to align what you do with who you are. Because of everybody what we've spoken about, you know, Oprah's a great example, Jobs is a great example, Branson's a great example of this. The reason they were so great and are so great for those that are still alive is they're just doing that. What they do is so aligned to who they are and that's what enables them to do such brilliant work. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And if you do want to connect further with Jack on LinkedIn or find out more about the entourage, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.